Welcome to a fantastically spoilerific edition of Phil and Lisa Ruin the Movies. I'm your host, Lisa Schmeiser, and accompanying me today is the lovely and talented Philip Michaels. I like I like the bit about lovely. You are talented, too. Uh, well, I'll... Don't downplay that. Okay. You can't coast on your looks forever, sweet cheeks. No. <laughs> it's worked so far. <laughs> Out with the old and with the new, I okay. say. So, as we said, this is a spoilerific episode. If you have not watched the latest Star Wars movie, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, I urge you not to listen to this podcast yes. until you've finished watching it. Uh, take the phone or listening device that you've uh, downloaded this podcast to and smash it to bits right now. Smash it to bits, then go to the theater, watch the movie, buy yourself a new iPhone mm-hmm. or uh, MP3 player or listening device, and then you can download this episode. Alternately, you can use this podcast to torture people who haven't seen it and want and you want to spoil them with everything. Mm-hmm. But first, smash. We're not responsible, by the way, for any damage that occurs if you do that. Smash their phone to bits first, too, because this is now a Luddite podcast. <laughs> smash all technology. There's, there's irony inherent in that. Yeah, well. Anyway, I wanted to let you know we are going to be discussing three of 2019's biggest films tonight. We're going to be discussing Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. We are also going to be discussing Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. We promise this podcast will not be as long as The Irishman, but we are going to talk about it. And finally, we will be looping back around to Avengers Endgame, and I promise this all makes sense. We'll also be discussing a movie we discovered on Hulu called Turkey Drop, Um this actually fits in with our whole theme, believe it or not. And we will, of course, be discussing the thing we started the podcast for, movie trailers. I, I'm interested to see how you ta- tie all these loose ends together. Oh, I'm a uh, I, I can do it. I am just along for the ride. I am strapped in and, and ready for... He's here for, for his good looks. We're, yeah, we're, huh? hope, we're hoping that talent comes along, but okay. right now it's mostly... Anyway, we're going to start the podcast off with what we do best, which is ruin a movie by solely by judging it on its two-minute trailer. Yep. Phil, what is the trailer that we watch? The trailer to Tonight is Black Widow, which I always have to pause and not call her Scarlet Widow, because it's because <laughs> it's Scarlet Johansson, and she's wearing like a little Scarlet Widow. She is both a widow and Scarlet, yes. so why wouldn't I call her Scarlet Widow? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So, um, and my first question uh-huh. upon watching this trailer, yes, isn't she dead? So yeah, the answer is Phil. Yes, what they're doing is they're going back and backfilling story. Oh, I see. And the thing is, is uh, so this Bla- Black so, Widow. Has so a- this was Marvel saying, "Oh shit, people really liked Wonder Woman. We should have done a Black Widow movie." Yeah. Yeah. Well, what they did is they they basically had Captain Marvel as your test balloon. Mm-hmm. We'll see if people come to see the movie about the broads. Yeah. And when they did, they were like, oh, and by the way, this is an easy way for us to keep Scarlett Johansson happy. There have been rumors in the past that the reason they didn't rush a Scarlett, oh, darn you, Michaels, a Black <laughs> Widow. A Scarlet Widow. Yes, that's her new name now. <laughs> Trademark Phil. The reason Natasha Romanoff did not get her own movie mm-hmm. was because Scarlett Johansson char- charges a lot of money for her goods and services. Well, sure. And Marvel is famously not fond of paying lots of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care about that. I don't care about the business. This does actually feel like a bit of a um, took us covering move because once they realize that there's a market for this sort of thing with Captain Marvel, they're like, okay, we, we got dames on the bench. Mm-hmm. And so they went. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is my favorite Cole Porter musical, Dames on the Bench, by the way. <laughs> 
So, um, so yeah, she gets her, she gets her movie. Um, I uh-huh. believe Hawkeye is getting a TV show. So well, all of your, all of your original Avengers have now. Is, hit- isn't he dead? No, he's alive. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I just assumed his career was. Oh, hey, oh my hey, gosh. Okay, hey, Hawkeye. So moving on, we saw yeah. the trailer. The trailer mm-hmm. features, uh, Scarlett Johansson mm-hmm. as Black Widow. <laughs> Yeah, doing what she does best, which is um, monologuing about her terrible past and how she has to make it up. Mm -hmm. Doing the vocal fry. I really like her voice. I think she has a lovely voice. Smoky. Yes. No. Um, There is no bigger fan of Scarlett Johansson than I. Phil, I think there's an internet prepared to fight you on this. Well, I and I will beat them all, and thus winning Scarlett Johansson's heart. Yeah. Mm Hmm. Is it a prize, really? Yeah, because now, so yes, yes. She's got the kind of taste that runs to Colin Jost. You really, well, you you really think that's it? Well, here's the thing. Uh huh. And, and now that you mentioned that, I see you're trying to poison the web here because you know that my fascination with Jennifer Lawrence ended (laughs) when she started dating Darren Hart. Aronofsky. Yes. And I was like, oh, you have terrible taste. Normally that would work in my favor, but here it's very off-putting. Whereas I, with her, with Scarlett Johansson, I'm still, ooh, Scarlett Johansson, tell me more. Uh, and uh, you're making a superhero movie and, and Jennifer Lawrence is in the background going, I've made superhero movies too. Quiet. Quiet, Jennifer Lawrence. Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson is talking. <laughs> Go on, Scarlett. She's not blue like Jennifer Lawrence was in hers. No, she's Scarlet. Yes. Oh, God. The Scarlet Widow. (laughs) Anyhow, so she's in it. So she's in it. Scar Jo herself. Florence Pugh is in it. Yep. Um, Hardest working woman in Hollywood. Yep. Um, And uh, David Harbour, who is basically the Gen X version of Danny Aiello. Rest in peace. In that bit you know, too soon, but no, go on. No, Danny Aiello didn't start acting until after he was in his forties. He's quite dead. He just died. I know. know. There's a reason I keep bringing him up. He's okay. top of mind. All right, all right. Sorry. And it occurred to me when watching this trailer that David Harbour is basically Danny Aiello, which is that he started. He he he's been acting for a while, but he broke big mm-hmm. once he hit his forties, and he kind of plays the same role. Um, and it looks like he's playing the same role here, only with a Russian accent. Uh, and I take it that he runs around with Rachel Wise and Florence Pugh and Scarlett Johansson, and they're off to take down the academy that apparently cranks out legions of live young assassin ladies. Um, I've, I've decided this is Marvel's version of Little Women. Yeah. It's their remake. Yes. Where yes, Scarlett I- Johansson, literally Joe, uh-huh. um, I guess that would make um, Florence Pugh Meg. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rachel Wise is Amy. Is that Rachel what? Wise no, is Rachel Amy. Wise is the Meg. <laughs> okay. Florence Pugh is Amy. So obviously David Harbour is Beth. Uh, clearly. And Marnie is uh, Jeremy Renner. No, Marnie is Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, okay. <laughs> And Jeremy Renner is both the, the rich old man and his, like, foppish no. nephew. Maybe he's just, like, a background character. Okay, I really sure. don't think they're bringing Hawkeye into this movie. We literally saw him in the trailer. We saw a masked assassin with a bow and arrow on a trailer. That has nothing to do with Hawkeye. With bow and arrow? There is more than one person in the Marvelverse who can shoot a bow and arrow. Okay. I I want to see your work on this, but I'll I'll take it I'll I'll take it on faith that you mm-hmm. know more about this than I do. Yes, there's the other there's girl Hawkeye. Okay. Yeah. Um Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop. Mm-hmm. Girl Hawkeye. Yeah. No, her name is actually Hawkeye, but for for clarity's sake. Uh-huh. Girl Hawkeye. I really don't think this movie is going to take the opportunity to fold in Matt Fraction's excellent work on the series Hawkeye, in which Hawkeye went up against the Russian tracksuit mob. 
they were a bunch of Russians who wore tracksuits and just referred to everyone as bro. Okay. Like, it would be great if they could tie them in. I didn't see any Russians in tracksuits in this trailer. What I'm a little worried about, if I may share my misgivings. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things I had really enjoyed about Captain Marvel is it's a movie with no male gaze. Right. Um, you see the women as they're strong and they're talented and they're competent and they're just people. And it was tremendously relaxing to not get like the butt shot or like they fight and there's cleavage everywhere or there's like the, the sexy faint or whatever. Like that was awesome. And with the movie about Black Widow, where it's literally an army of women bred to do whatever. Army of ballerina assassins, yes. I really worry that we're going to get a lot of um, of, 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 of male gazy stuff here. I, I would assume that it's almost on the cards. It has a very Red, red Sparrow vibe to it. Oh, God. Jennifer Lawrence. Which is a Jennifer from... Lawrence picture. I also made a movie where I'm in it. Thank you, Jennifer Lawrence. That'll be enough now. <laughs> We're talking about Scarlett Johansson. We're Johansson. talking about Scarlett Johansson's projects. We love her. <laughs> we don't love you. This is why Winter's Bone has been in our queue for forever. E exactly. Oh, is that really it? Yeah. I, I want to see it again, though, because John Hawk has a great performance in it. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe this is something we can discuss after the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what's in our queue and what's not. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, so yeah, that's our trailer. Um, I have misgivings. I am probably not going to buy tickets to see this on opening weekend unless somebody whose opinion I trust and respect is like, wow, this is amazing because it completely deconstructs the horrible origin of using women as sex bombs in international diplomacy and instead mm -hmm. turns into meditation on on personhood um mm -hmm. and i um in keeping with my stance on comic book movies am utterly indifferent yes. so <laughs> there we go so fight on scar joe fight on you fighting scar joe yes yeah through the ups and downs of life uh -huh. um anyhow so there's our trailer. That's a trailer. So we... What did we do last week, Lisa? Phil, we watched so many movies. <laughs> we did. So we spent like a week watching The Irishman. Oh, yes, we did. Do not. I'm going to try not to. Do not do The Irish. I will try not to do The Irishman. No. Accent. No, don't. Because it's, it it's would... It's a hate crime against citizens of the United Kingdom and Ireland. <sighs> yes. It's very hard not to do it. Because what is the name of the movie, Lisa, that Martin Scorsese made, the three-and-a-half-hour movie? It's The Irishman. It's The Irishman! Jimmy Hoffa stole me lucky charms! God, why? Uh, why? 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 I can't, because I... you told me not to. If you had just let it go. Respectfully. I asked respectfully. Oh, I really don't do well with commands. <laughs> Listening oh. skills are not my forte. I just sort of charge ahead. Not unlike the Irishman. Uh, it didn't really charge. So no, much. It's no. Just, it was actually propulsive in its own way, but it's three and a half hours long. Yes, yeah, so um, you get you get a lot of uh, things happening. Your watch is screaming at you to stand up constantly. Mm -hmm. um, so what did And you... we did not watch it in the theater. We no, we, we, we streamed did. it. Yeah. Uh, we we talked to uh, someone, a parent in our daughter's class, who did go see it in the theater and He looked haunted. Yeah, because he was like, I was not expecting that. <laughs> because well, and he because again, that's an awful long movie to sit through without um it, without stretch breaks. Yeah, without stretch breaks. And a, a, as a movie it lacks the um 
the so, it's meditative. It's a meditative three so, and a half yeah, hours. I, yeah. Well, this is the, so I am more than willing to argue that this is actually the cap on uh, a trilogy where what all the movies have in common is their adaptations of crime memoirs. Mm-hmm. And what what where what movies the, would you put in that? I would put um, Goodfellas, mm-hmm. which is about Henry Hill who is a criminal who is basically only sorry he got caught. Mm-hmm. I would put Casino, which is about a criminal who is basically only sorry that everybody's stupidity mm-hmm. ended a good thing. Yes. And then there's The Irishman, which is about a criminal who is really only sorry that uh, he got iced out by his family when they realized what he did. Yes. I, I, I would agree with that. I always um, treated the Scorsese crime trilogy uh, mm. as Mean Streets because it was Mean Streets is the low level, just street hoodlums. Uh-huh. Goodfellas was the the the, the soldiers uh-huh. uh, and Casino were the guys who were just outside of the big boss. Middle management. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I think I, th- I think your your trilogy is is better because your trilogy is thematic. It is because it goes from. What's been really interesting, Scorsese's always had a talent for making you keenly interested in people who are objectively horrible. Right. And over the course of the movie, he shows you their motivations and their drives. And then he is utterly pitiless in showing how everything that happens to him is always their own fault. It's Mm. a deeply Catholic way of looking at the world. While I agree with Um, you, while I agree with you, this is kind of part of the the goodfellas mm-hmm. casino trajectory yeah. uh-huh. the movie of scorsese's that it reminds me the most of uh-huh. is uh raging bull yeah because it, the the in both cases the robert de niro characters are utterly irredeemable and they're unself-aware and they're unself-aware and yet you can't look away from them you don't pity them for well, a moment or you don't you pity them in the way so and you pity them in the ars poetical way where the whole point to the drama is to arouse pity and fear, and then you get that cathartic moment where you can express that, and then you're done, and you can watch that character, and you're like, okay, I felt my feelings. You're living out your conclusion. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So you get that absolutely in Raging Bull. Uh, the end of the movie is like really just pathos. Yeah. Pathos, drenched pathos. Um with the Irishman, what I found really fascinating about it was Scorsese's complete unwillingness to let this guy off the hook. Just the last half hour is just brutal in what I wouldn't say what he does to this character, but he he shows the character living with consequences and fully unable to comprehend why he would be doing such a thing. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought that De Niro's character, Jimmy. Uh, Frank. 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 Sorry, I get them. Uh, yeah. So Jim, Jimmy is the one in Goodfellas. Yeah, that's right. Frank Sheehan. And um, Lefty is the one in uh, Casino. Casino. So Frank Sheehan, um, just to give you a... Or Ace. Ace. Lefty was his real name. Ace to, was to, okay. Lefty is the real name and Ace is the... Yes, is the made-up name for the movie. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So <laughs> I was like, was it his Christian name? His baptism name? No, these okay. are all yeah. nicknames. It's always right. nicknames with so these. So the guys. thing about Frank is Frank is a guy... What I found, um, what tugged at my heartstrings Mm -hmm. was that Frank is basically a guy who just wants to please his father figure and he just wants to belong to something and feel like he's a part of something that matters Mm -hmm. in the world. 
And what's really unfortunate is that his father figure is a mob boss. And the thing he chooses as his sense of solidarity is the deeply corrupt union that Jimmy Hoffa was running. Yeah. And so you've got a guy who is never going to be a criminal mastermind on his own, but he's happy to carry out the evil that other men order him to do. And when his family figures this out and they ice him out for it, correctly speaking, he's honestly confused as to why this should be a consequence for him. Because as far as he's concerned, all he was doing was like, you know, hitting the marks on Maslow's hierarchy of needs there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the um, mm -hmm. the the mob boss father figure we should point out is uh, played by Joe Pesci. In a and, lifetime performance. And if you, yeah, if you if you have a, a picture of Joe Pesci where it's mm -hmm. it's him ranting and raving and shooting Michael Imperioli and yeah. and uh, uh Get shine box. getting beaten up in a cornfield by Frank Vincent. Uh, uh this is quite a different role from anything Pesci's yeah. ever really done. It's yeah. very very quiet, very restrained, very yeah. um uh a lot of just acting with looks. So the thing that intrigues me about Scorsese movies mm -hmm. is he see, and he seems to return to this in movies about criminals. He well, and he did in The Aviator too. Now that I think about it, is it's men who operate seemingly unaware of their own internal inconsistencies and hypocrisies because mm -hmm. you see it in the trilogy that we're talking about, where there are these guys who profess to love each other and will not hesitate to turn around and kill each other. Oh yeah. Um, and those ideas coexist without any contradiction in these guys. And Scorsese has no problem pointing out the absurdity of that and the, f and, and then calling into question the sincerity of any of their motives or their feelings. And it's something that he keeps coming back to again and again. And the conclusion that he seems to draw at the end of The Irishman is that without internal consistency and integrity and compassion, you are nothing. Yeah. You know, he's always had a really – he's always had a gimlet eye for people who operate without compassion. And you see that a lot with the law enforcement characters that he sets up where they may be right, but they're not compassionate. And so the argument is they're just – they're not better than the criminals they catch but here um he he has a couple of people he has a couple characters who are actually internally consistent and compassionate in the few scenes that we see and they're held up in scorsese's uh directorial view as as being the people that you should try to be the uh other interesting thing about this movie mm -hmm. uh versus the other ones is um the family element because yeah. um in goodfellas the kids are just there to cut to to look look sad at various times i find that movie so stressful to watch not like i love that movie yeah this is the movie we were talking recently about the movies where before kids where you'd stop everything like you'd, you'd flip by when it's on cable you're like oh this is on i'm canceling my plans for the day and you'd sit down and watch it you mm -hmm. know it didn't matter if you owned it or anything you're like oh it's on i'm I'm gonna watch it right and goodfellas was one of ours and i now find that movie tremendously stressful to watch with the family scenes mm -hmm. like i still have the mom scenes but anytime like henry and karen's kids are crying i'm like oh god so much therapy they're gonna need so much therapy and the daughter in casino um Robert De Niro is devoted to her, yeah. and, and she has that great scene where with James Woods, where yeah. she's sticking out her tongue at James Woods and annoying him, and and, and thus becoming an American hero by yeah. making James Woods unhappy. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the, the 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 she's used to sh she's used to point out how terrible Ginger is too. Yes, um, but the um, uh, especially the Anna Pack. Anna Paquin, right? Uh -huh. yeah. Because I briefly got her confused with Anna uh, Chumsky when yes, we were you did. watching this it. Yes, this is true. Um, 
And a lot has been made of the fact that she like really has like four lines in the movie. Uh-huh. You you have this Oscar winner, and you you uh, don't give her seemingly a lot to do, and yet <laughs> she does a lot in that that. So again, doing a lot without talking. Like to to, to sidebar to sidebar a little mm-hmm. bit. Like I feel like you could actually do like a whole podcast series, serial style on Scorsese and women. In, oh sure, you know in his in his movies. Okay, we're not going to do that here. No. What I am going to say is I loved her performance in this movie, and mm-hmm. I thought that the silence was deliberate because what it shows is that she's always watching him, but she's utterly unwilling to engage with him. Because he does something in her childhood that terrifies her deeply. Um, he means it one way, and but his actions are actually coming off correctly in another way. And the consequence is she doesn't speak to him. She doesn't interact with him any more than she absolutely has to. And it's, the, all, the only uh, male figure in her life that she responds well to is Jimmy Hoffa, for, for heaven's sake. But I thought that her performance was searing precisely because it is all about what she is deliberately choosing to withhold from him. Right. And it doesn't make sense to have her chatter. No. You know, not even with her sisters, because part of the sick dynamic in that family, part of the broken dynamic in that family comes down to each of the, each of the, his daughters, because he had four daughters, like mm-hmm. each of his daughters having to choose what they were going to have to do with their dad. And then the other sisters having to, tolerate that choice while making different ones on their own too so it's it's a good it's it's a great performance yeah i i would i would suggest blocking out uh, a week of your life and uh just dealing with the irishman in chunks and i kind of wish they had almost broken it up into installments i realize you can't really do that in a movie yeah but really giving it a a, you can stop here and Mm -hmm. and go and stretch your legs yeah it's a movie, Goodfellas is propulsive in the sense that the action just keeps piling up and right. there's this this energy and this inevitability behind it. And so by the time you get to the scene where Henry Hill is being surveilled and he's high on coke and he's also making the meat sauce, blah, blah, blah. It's got this hectic bananas energy and the Rolling Stones are perfect for that. And, right. And on and on it goes. I would argue that this is propulsive in a different way where you just get this heavy sense of inevitability that settles in about a third of the way through the movie. And so by the end of it, you are just kind of underneath the weight of everything that's happened. You have felt all these feelings. Um, If I were to watch it one go, I think I'd probably need to go sit in a dark room for like an hour afterwards just to unpack. And of course, Casino is the movie where time actually stops at one point during the uh, Joe Pesci, Sharon Stone scenes. Uh, But uh, I I actually still enjoy uh, Casino a lot. It's an underrated film. Very underrated movie in the the Scorsese canon. Um, It it got a lot of... um, People uh, uh, poo-pooing it because it came out maybe I think five years after Casino, so people go, "This is just Casino, good Goodfellas. Uh, good, good yeah. This is just Goodfellas all over again." And it really it, wasn't. It really wasn't. Yeah. Um, other than the fact that two of the three leads were the same people, yeah. but different. No, it's it's uh, maybe a one-two. If I were suggesting a one-two, what I would suggest is that you sit down and if you're going to binge on Netflix, you watch Casino and then you watch a whole bunch of um, the latest season of Glow. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's actually good. I feel like that would be where you're like, oh, this is the logical consequence. Mm-hmm. Glow, Glow is the logical consequence to what happened in Casino. 
Yeah, that so makes sense. That. So we watched. So we watched that. We we really liked it. Um, and then last Thursday, Philip and Wednesday, I Wednesday. Wednesday. Sorry. Yes. yes. For it, those of you uh, like plotting out where we were on Wednesday and Thursday, cross out Thursday in your notes because that's inaccurate. Yeah. All right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Last Wednesday, we went down to LucasArts. Uh, we were part of the press tour. We were Yes, the uh, press screening. The press screening. Um, got the merchandising news, which I frankly found much more interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we watched Star Wars The la- uh, the, the Rise of Skywalker. Skywalker. Tie, 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 tie. Oh, Philip. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do that for all the movies now. This is why I drink. Yeah. Yeah, so we got to see uh, Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Uh and again, I want to emphasize at this point, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Yes. There will be some spoilers. At this point, have you smashed your iPhone yet? Please smash it. Or or this is the part where you start chasing around your coworkers screaming, listen! Listen to this part. They're going to talk about what Yoda does. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, Yoda shows up. Briefly. The Ewoks show up. Yeah, everyone shows up. Yeah. Basically, if you uh, have ever been in the Star Wars movie and did not get a call to appear in this one, yeah. even just to do a voiceover, you really need to talk to your agent or wonder who you offended. Because yeah. Wedge Antilles pops up. Wedge is there. And, and that was actually one of the few nostalgia trips when Wedge popped up on the screen. So, so, I so- turned to you and I actually went, so I'm glad you mentioned the word nostalgia. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Because here's my, uh, so this is with the caveat that we're not here to yuck anyone's yum. We're here to engage. Yeah. If you liked Rise of Skywalker, then good again, on you. Yeah. Good on you. And I will say, independent of mm-hmm. uh, the other movies in this most recent uh, trilogy, mm-hmm. It's it's enjoyable. It's, mm-hmm. it's 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 a Star Wars. It's a Star War. There there are rollicking adventures. There are good set pieces. J.J. Abrams is not an incompetent director. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just, I'm trying to be kind here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can you can piss all over this in a second, but uh, wow. th- th- there are there are some interesting things and some dramatic things, and I could see how you could walk out of that movie and say, "Yeah, it was a good time. I enjoyed yeah. that." And yet, um, I did not care for the movie, but I yield the floor to you. No, this is a ma- this is my manifesto against nostalgia. Yeah. Um. So one of the things that J.J. Abrams did in this movie that really um lost me every time he did it is there were a lot of shot for shot recreations of scenes that were fresh or rewarding or gratifying in earlier films and here it was just unearned it was it it was like weekend dad saying hey you used to like it when we got happy meal sports so i brought you a happy meal mm-hmm. um and i'm against nostalgia as a i'm against nostalgia as a as a as a justification or as a force for pop culture to begin with i don't feel like wallowing in the past is a good way to under it, it is 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 necessary I don't feel like it's necessary for entertainment. I think you can learn from the past. I think history is a handy thing to have. I think it can help you enjoy something in the present more. Um, you know, witness us talking about the Irishman and how gratifying it was for us to put that in a trilogy. But the thing that I absolutely did not like about this movie beginning to end was that J.J. Abrams hit the nostalgia button so compulsively that there wasn't any room for anything new or fresh 
or surprising to be said about this story. We didn't expand this universe in any significant way. Um, it walked back a lot of the stuff that I thought was the most exciting about The Last Jedi, because the, the whole point of The Last Jedi was finding out that the universe is a lot more complicated than we thought it was, and that the Force is a lot different than we thought it was. It wasn't just some some BS. There are three families in the galaxy that have it, and off we go. And um, Ray wasn't some chosen one. Like Carlo had told her this whole thing about, oh, your parents sold you. They were junk traders. You're nobody. And I was super excited by that, because then... It's a genuinely egalitarian way of looking at things, and all of that got rolled back this time. Yeah, well, that that there there are two crimes I yeah. think in this movie. There's nostalgia, which is where you liked this before, so you'll see it again. Well, uh-huh. I really liked um, um, the Last Jedi. Yeah, and if you didn't like Last Jedi, I guess you know we all we all like it. That's why they make two flavors of ice cream because you like shitty ice cream. But. Um, uh, <laughs> I thought Last Jedi was really good because it was. We are going in a whole new direction. We are not going to keep living on our the 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 the, the past movies. We are gonna. We're not going to die out on a reputation we made back in the seventies and early eighties. Exactly. We're we're going to take this this whole thing in a new direction. And then they handed the baton over to J.J. Abrams, and he's all, "No, we're not." Yeah, it, 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 it's like an improv. The improv has the concept of yes and, yeah. where you build off uh, something someone else says. And J.J. Abrams' approach was no. No, his approach was no. Like, yes, and everything that you just did, I'm going to undo. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah it, to be so, so I've I've read a few things on the internet with like, oh no, J.J. Abrams plotted out, plotted out the whole story. This is no, that's bullcrap. Um, <laughs> because and and I'll tell and I'll tell you for why. I'll tell you for why that is nonsense. Okay. Because they have the um the Rose Tico character. Oh, she was dirty. Where, she was done dirty. I mean, where where they. She has a very big prominent role in, uh, in, uh, uh, the, uh, last, the, the last Jedi, the last Jedi. And w- while that plot thread was not my favorite, uh-huh. um, it was a little bit baggy, yeah. but, um, in this one, they just say, yeah, you're going to stand over here off to the side. Charlie from lost has more lines and more time than she does. <laughs> exactly. And we have never seen him before. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and that's just, just, that's just disgraceful because that is to quote the LA, I think it was the LA times or the uh-huh. vanity fair review. Yeah. That is basically a bad concession to bad people. Yeah. And, congratulations um, fan babies. You rolled it back. And um, really, if, if that was in any way, well, it had the it had the stink of test marketing and yeah. focus groups to it. Oh, you want to know what the stink of the test marketing and the focus groups? Mm-hmm. Oh, Poe gets the girlfriend who is not his girlfriend who shoots him down because we can't have him be gay for Finn. No. And then oh, Finn gets the ethnically appropriate girlfriend this time out, and mm-hmm. oh, they have so much in common. Oh, you know what they have in common? They were both stormtroopers. That is literally the beginning and end of it. Yeah. But you know now they're bonded in a way that like Finn and Rose apparently aren't anymore, despite the fact that like we we had a whole movie movie where we got exactly the opposite um also you have felicity huff uh, the felicity huffman but the the girl who played felicity yeah. whose name is carrie carrie russell mm-hmm. thank you felicity huffman yeah <laughs> she, she yes was, phil there were the stormtroopers buying their children's way she was doing time when this movie was being filmed no uh carrie russell uh-huh. is in the movie and let's put carrie russell behind a mask and hide her hair for the entire movie Thank you, no, J.J. Abrams. What are you? You're a big dummy, is what you are. I I called you a competent filmmaker, not 
10 minutes ago. I rescind that. So here's the thing. We talk, um, and we're going to talk about Avengers Endgame in just a moment. There's a moment in Avengers Endgame where it is literally nothing but a beauty shot of all of the women heroes from like the last 20 odd films except one who are like in a shot together and they're going to team up and it's, and I was like, if this is what being pandered to, it feels like it is glorious. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I love it. It's all. And in this movie, I thought, Oh, they've thrown in like two more lady characters we're supposed to care about. And in theory, I should be happy about this because at last there's more than one or two women per movie, except it honestly felt like, a cynical, all right, you guys got it. It was the same way where at the end of the movie when, oh, you know, big surprise, the rebels win, we get a shot of like two middle-aged lesbians having a quick kiss and they, they've been out in the press all, oh, we've got our first canonically queer couple in Star Wars. And I'm like, you do not. This is the same as, again, Avengers Endgame where there's like a therapy group and there's one extra who talks about, oh, you know, this is the first date I've been on since my husband was snapped. And I'm like, that that's nothing. That's, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, no, no. No, don't act like that's representation. You know, that's tokenism. And this is what they, and I'm sure that in another better movie or the 8,000 novels you're apparently supposed to read when the movie doesn't pick things up, maybe we get a backstory for Jana or she has adventures now at Lando. I don't care. Yeah. I didn't, you know. The other uh, cinematic crime or Mm -hmm. or narrative crime Mm -hmm. that this movie commits is no one ever dies. Oh, my gosh. No one of any importance ever dies in this movie. So. Because we were sitting there uh and Chewbacca gets blowed up. Well, Chewbacca is taken prisoner by a bunch of Imperial guards Mm -hmm. and he gets put in a transport and that, um. There is a force battle between Rey and Kylo Ren over the transport that presumably has Chewbacca in it. And Rey loses her cool, shoots lightning out of her fingertips and blows up the transport. And I had a moment where, like, my brain went blank with delight and shock. Yeah. And here's what I thought, Phil. Mm -hmm. I thought... Oh my God, this is amazing. They took a major character off the board. This is a wonderful way to show several things. One, that death is random. Mm-hmm. Two, not all heroes get hero deaths. And three, real victory requires sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is amazing. This is the ballsiest thing he could have done. I love it. Whereas I, I thought many of those same things, but I articulated it in, Oh crap, I killed Chewbacca. Oh no. <laughs> and then like, Less than five minutes like later. Five minutes. It's all no, no. Oh, it no. was a different transport. Yeah, no. Like they they faked it out. Well, and and, and, that, and I thought, okay, well, that's going to be that kind of movie. And it was, and uh, indeed it was, because Han Solo shows up. Well, and, no, there's also a scene where, in order to get like the location of the magic MacGuffin out of C-3PO's head, they mm-hmm. have to wipe his memory clean and transcribe it off some chip. It's it's all techno gobbledygook. And so there's this very nice moment where C-3PO is like. I'm just taking a last look at friends. And then some adorable little thing wipes him. And I thought to myself, this is amazing because not only is this C-3PO willingly making an incredibly brave sacrifice for the people that he's come to care about, we're going to have a whole movie where they now have to deal with a droid who looks like their friend and acts nothing like him. What an amazing challenge is this going to be? Again, what an excellent opportunity to point out sacrifice. Also, what a great callback to episode Three, where Obi-Wan orders C-3PO and R2-D2 wiped, where, and, and I, you know, I was actually kind of upset when I saw it that time, because I thought, oh my god, the way, the way droids get treated in this universe is terrible. Yeah. I, I still believe that. And I thought, this is amazing. And, oh, I'm just 
taking a last look at friends. It's an unbearably poignant moment, which they walk back with oh, R2-D2 as a backup. R2-D2 has all the backups, and that's a, there you go. There's no sacrifice. No, there's nothing. And you, and I would argue, like, at the end of the movie, Kylo Ren dies, um, which is... And, but, but he's just going to be a, a lovely uh, space ghost now. But the thing is, that's not even a sacrifice. This is a dude who, like, cheerfully blows up planets for recreation. How is that? A, you know, that's not even... This goes back to, um, actually, Return of the Jedi, which mm-hmm. we rewatched recently with our daughter. Yep. And which I had never held in high esteem. No. And I hold it in even worse esteem, especially now that the Lucas people went and monkeyed with it. Yeah. But... The thing I really hate is at the end when uh, the space ghosts appear, and it's Obi Wan as Alec Guinness, yeah, and it's Yoda as the gnarled old space puppet, and then instead of it being David Prowse, yeah, it's uh, or like or like the levitating burden stump of Darth Vader, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, it is. Uh, Hayden beautiful, Cri- Hayden Christ- beautiful Hayden Christensen. And Obi-Wan is all, yes, I spent my life uh, exiled in the desert, and then I trained the Chosen One to finally bring order to the yeah. universe. And Yoda's all, how many years did I spend uh, hiding in Dagobah? And Anakin's all, yeah, I killed a lot of kids and blew up planets, but then at the end I repented. Now I'm beautiful. Yeah. And, and Yoda's all, screw this. Yeah. This is, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's you, Force! Yoda, you're no longer even talking in that weird idiom that you have. I'm so angry! <laughs> and it's exactly like that with Kylo Ren, where Kylo Ren kills a lot of freaking people. No, like, literally his first scene well, yeah, yeah, he's is murdering him. lots of people. He murdered an entire force full of and, fighters. And yet, yeah, oh, well, he kissed Ray, and I guess he's he, Matt sad about his dad, so you're okay now, Kylo Ren. Have your space ghost, you're pretty. So, yeah, so... Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There, there. Again, like I said, I was very excited when I thought Chewbacca was dead for real. <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited. The question was, "They killed Chewbacca." <laughs> I was very excited when I thought that they wiped C three PS brain. Yep. And so you're 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 kind of a sicky, is what we're hearing. No, actually, I was really excited when I thought Yoda was coming back to life so they could kill him again. And I really, really liked the scene on the Imperial Cruiser where where, where they brought a cavalry to a space battle. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it is such a beautiful, brave, doomed measure. And you think about it, it's done by all of these people who are conscripted into the Empire as children. They were stolen from their parents. They were brainwashed. They broke free of that. And they know exactly what they're going up against. And they... All they can do is do it on horseback. And that that level of moral courage and bravery is heartbreaking and beautiful. And I would have happily seen a whole lot more of it. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen more moments of brave and humble resistance. And instead what we get is is basically like the world's worst high school romance. <laughs> and um, whatever the hell Poe Dameron was doing in this movie. Yeah. And that's the thing. They've never gotten a beat on that character. And the the weird you know plot with palpatine and we discover snoke was grown in a vat and i i kept thinking there was all this imagery that lionized the 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 fascism of it all 
mm-hmm. um, the the fascism that the emperor promotes and his secret plans and the gnarled this and the gnarled that and the massed army of the Sith that's embodied in Palpatine and all that. And I would have liked to have seen more moments of people who are going up against something that they know they're going to lose. But what matters to them is that they're losing while holding on to their principles. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen more of that. We saw a lot of it in The Last Jedi. Um, I think it's a more relevant message than, oh, if we just go back to the same old, same old, this time it'll work. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the, as they are celebrating, uh-huh. spoiler alert, blowing yeah. up the blowing up the Death Star that isn't the Death Star this time. Yeah, blowing up other stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, hey, finally we killed Palpatine. I'm all, I saw this in 1983, and apparently you could just bring Palpatine back at any at any point. Yeah. So, um, and also, boo, I say boo. Yeah, no, and the thing is, what I really loved about the ending of The Last Jedi was when you see Luke's send-off, it is a perfect mirror image to his heroic introduction, where he's looking, you know, again, he's, we start and end our emotional journey with him looking at the sun and thinking of the universe. First, the universe he hasn't seen, and then second, the universe that he's seen and he's shaped. And those bookended moments are beautiful. And when this movie chooses to end with taking Ray back to Tatooine and sticking her in Luke's house, and then, like, he comes to Tatooine with Leia as a force ghost and nods approvingly, like, at that point, again, we were surrounded by people, so I was my my best behavior. Like, part of me was like, please don't have Kylo show up as a force ghost. Please don't have Ben show up as a force ghost. Please don't have... And I was relieved that they didn't. But, I, you know, I would not have been surprised if there's a cut somewhere where he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, like, smiling and waving, going, hey, now I can force talk to you anytime. Um, <laughs> there were some very good performances in this film. I think Daisy really did fantastic. I think John Boyega did really well. Those, those are the two good ones. Um, those are two standout performances. I think... Um, I think Adam Driver tried his best, but the problem is you never really find out what Kylo Ren wants. Yeah, I think I think he's it's just a, such a reactionary character. It's, it's a flawed character, yeah. and I think um, by this point in the thing, Adam Driver was like th- thinking about uh, divorce story or whatever or the hell Broadway that, or whatever he's yeah. doing. No, like this is the thing: is I realize that we never really get a beat on what Kylo Ren wants. Like, no. we never get that. Like, we know he wants to hang out with Ray, and that's about it. But even then, that's shown to be a lot of manipulation on someone else's part. We never get a bead on what Ben wants, why he wants it, what he actually needs instead, how he's going to get from point A to point B. And if you don't have that for both your protagonist and your antagonist, what is the point? So, um, so I might just decide that there are eight movies in the series. Oh, wow. Well, I so this is your Godfather 3, then. Yeah. 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 Um, Godfather Three, a movie that does not exist. I've heard of it. Yeah, well, like as a rumor, it's like the legend tells of a shitty sequel to two good movies. Apparently, Zack Snyder made it. Yes, (laughs) yes, exactly. (laughs) There's a lot of punching in Godfather Three. Yes, yes, a lot of homoerotic imagery. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's probably true, actually. uh, (laughs) No, it's. I, the SFX were fantastic. The effects were wonderful. I want to point that out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's visually a spectacle. 
Um, it is visually a spectacle in the same way that a multi-car pileup is a spectacle, where it takes you a while to get a beat on anything and figure out what's going on. And again, great performances, great effects. I don't think J.J. Abrams knows how to tell a story. And hmm. I decry the use of nostalgia as um, it's used here, which is as a quick way for unearned catharsis. Like there wasn't, there wasn't even any catharsis in this. Actually, it was just like, hey, remember you were really happy the last time you saw Lando fly the Millennium Falcon, and hey, you were really happy the last time you saw Luke fight him, an evil version of himself. So you'll love it when Ray fights an evil version of herself. And like, eh, no, like show me something I haven't seen before. Like show me more horses on Imperial cruisers that it, I loved. It's a cowardly film. Yeah, is the it, its biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Um. And if it works for you, that's great. Justice for Rose Tico. But it is not a movie that really does justice to the ones that preceded it. And that's yeah. a shame because if you're you're calling this the capstone to nine movies, yeah. uh, this is a pretty uh, weak way to go out. Yeah. Not Phantom Menace weak, but still, um, still pretty limp. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, focus group to hell, and um, they did terrible things to Rose Tico. Um, I feel like we've hit all of our points here. Yes. Um, by contrast... Let's talk about a great movie. <laughs> well, no. like, it's, Or I'm at not, least I'm, a I'm movie not, that delivers yeah, what Yeah, I'm it, not going to argue it's a great movie, per No, because it's, it's not. But the movie I couldn't stop thinking about as we left the theater, which oh. was very subdued. Oh, okay. You're... you're okay. Yes. Um. It was a very subdued theater. With yeah, it, it was. I agree. Um, but the movie I couldn't stop thinking about was Avengers Endgame, uh, which, you know, had come out earlier in the year mm-hmm. and capped off a run of effective, like, what, 21 movies or something like that? 22. I, yeah. And is arg- and and ultimately, arguably, like, shut down a very specific phase of Marvel storytelling, Marvel serialized cinematic storytelling. And I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. And there are people I like and enjoy talking with on Twitter who really hate parts of it. Like, I know that um, the decision to kill Black Widow doesn't sit well with a lot of people. But what I'm going to argue is that Avengers Endgame does what these types of movies are supposed to do, which is it wraps up the story. It sticks a bow on it. There's enough in there to surprise you on first viewing that makes sense when you think about it. Like Fat Thor is a surprise the first time, but makes a lot of sense later. Um, I would all like the, the fact that Ant-Man turns out to be pivotal um, and not in the way that the internet speculated he would be. Mm. Um, I would argue that Natasha Romanoff's death, like the thing is, is they actually kill movie people in this movie who stay dead and there's sacrifice. Well, in, the, in the second movie they did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the first movie they did, and we're like, meh. But in this movie they kill people and they stay dead. And granted the development and, um, development and birthing of the Star Wars movies is different from the Marvel movies in that it's a very different creative structure. Kevin Feige had a huge board laid out with all of the story beats and what each movie had to do to advance the ball. Um, there was a tight degree of creative control. But, you know, Star Wars has had character Bibles and continuity Bibles since the 90s. Like, they, they basically have the same wealth of narrative storytelling and extended universe in place. Um, they just couldn't deliver in the same way that Avengers Endgame did. And I thought to myself, it's kind of a shame these two movies came out in the same year. On the one hand, I, I like that they're like, oh, it's the end of a decade. It's the end of these two major things that shape 
that, that shaped the decade in terms of pop culture. But on the other hand, you know, I shouldn't be able to compare them so easily, you know? No. Well, I, I can't really contribute because uh, I have not seen Endgame, nor will I see Endgame. No, you'll see it if you're walking by and watching me watch it, because I, I love watching that final battle scene. Yeah, sure. Which is, again, loud and wet and on fire all at the same time, but mm -hmm. somehow it works. And it manages to have lots of character beats for all sorts of characters. I mean, you could complain that some characters don't get to do stuff, but... It crammed in like 40 characters. And then what I love about the credits are they are just basically like a flex where they're like, yes, we have Chadwick Boseman. We have Don Cheadle. We have Samuel L. Jackson. We have Michelle Pfeiffer. We have Michael Douglas. On and on and on and on and on and on and on it goes. And I'm sure somebody somewhere is, is, has already done like the IMDb trivia with there are X number of Oscar winners just in the supporting credits for Avengers Endgame. Cause. Mm -hmm. And the Star Wars credits were a little bit like that because they had, like, everybody who's ever played a Jedi do, like, a voice cameo. Sure. But, you know, I, I keep thinking, eh, it's not, it's not, not landing the same way. No. Um, it was a good year to be a nerd. It was a good year to say goodbye to stuff if you're nerdy. Um, and, again, though, I really wish that I had been able to compare the ninth Star Wars movie with the 22nd Marvel movie and say, yes, they both did what they came to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot. But at least you have the Irishman. <sighs> we'll always have the Irishman. <laughs> Is there another movie we watched recently, Lisa? I'm reviewing my marital vows. I'll be right back. Okay. Well, we happen to uh, go on to Hulu. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, listeners of the podcast will know that we have a weakness <laughs> For really bad holiday movies. Oh, yes. Um, we used to actually hold an annual event called Cheesemas in which we would uh, show the Christmas shoes and serve cheese related uh, and, and serve che cheesy food. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that we would watch the Christmas shoes every year and everyone was encouraged to eat cheeses and heckle. And make fun of it. And yeah. sometimes we would show other uh, bad movies from the Hallmark Channel or Lifetime. Oh, God. There was that one about the guy who... Um, follows his girlfriend back to her ranch and Sally Struthers is the strumpet aunt. Yes, is that, that, that yeah. is called What I Did for Love, Lisa. Oh, and, that's right, with Jeremy London. And that is relevant because we watched its, um, its uh, counterpoint, as it were. It's polar opposite. Uh, that uh, apparently aired on the Freeform Network, mm -hmm. which is the former um, ABC family, which is the former uh, Pat Robertson Network, uh -huh. uh, which, I, which tickles me, uh -huh. because this movie is called Turkey Drop, and it's about a young lady who has left her Idaho home to go to college in Arizona, and she comes back for Thanksgiving break, convinced that her boyfriend from high school, who uh, has ha remained in the hometown, has remained in the hometown, is going to dump her, so she's going to do everything she can to stop that from happening. And she basically spends her entire fall break mewling about how change is terrible, and she doesn't want anything to change. And everyone around her is like, no, you know, change is good and it can be healthy. And sometimes not changing is, is worse for you than changing, and, which and, is like a huge break from the, 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 the hallmarky lifetimey message of, oh, but it's tradition. We always have the lottery at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
<laughs> and I, I, I don't want to pretend that it's a good movie. Oh, no. Um, no, no certainly no. the script, the script is, uh, bananas. And, um, <laughs> the th- there are actors who make choices in that movie, which you're all, pl- please dial it down. The romantic lead could double as a serial killer. Yeah. The, the romantic lead. Like there was several action- times he's staring at his lady love with a look of murder or, that would chill you. You're like, is he sizing her up for the skin jacket? <laughs> yes. or- no, there was actually a scene in that movie where, where he appears. No, our heroine is like digging in the fridge for something. When she closes the fridge, she's there, and Phil and I both went, ah! Yes, the, 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 the <laughs> romantic interest appears out of nowhere, and I, 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 I shrieked. I shrieked as if I thought, oh no, he's going to carve her up. But no, he was just there to, hey, we have to talk about when we kissed, because <laughs> now I want to wear you as my suit. <laughs> um, <laughs> that part is, there's like a, there's like a 16 Candles homage, not the racist part of 16 Candles, no. the sweet part at the end. Yes. Um, <laughs> But well, no, thank you for clarifying. Well, but the thing is, is like you said, this movie, you were the one who came with this insight. This movie is fun to watch, not just because it's unhinged and bananas and was clearly shot in two weeks. Yeah. But because this movie is about embracing change. Well, and you mentioned the What I Did for Love, which uh-huh. is basically one of the most hateful movies I've ever seen. Because to sum that up quickly, and I think uh-huh. we discussed this on a previous episode, it is... <laughs> Uh, big city lawyer and his doctor girlfriend go back to her small prairie town where everyone in that town just takes delight in pointing out what a, what a lumox he is. Oh, you city types are terrible. Oh, you city types are terrible. And it's not, and the movie is not, boy, the, the country folk are wrong for doing this. The, The movie's like, yes, the country folk are right. He is terrible, but he's going to conform to their ways. Once we've broken him, once we've broken him, we'll like him. Where, where, whereas this movie is all, Oh God, no, small towns are terrible. Flee to the big city. Flee, (laughs) flee anywhere. Flee to a different small town. Just. Go, go and discover no. things. Yeah. Find your, go and, and, and sow your seeds. No, because the argument is basically, look, you'll always have the people who love you to return to, mm-hmm. even if it's not the, the place that you used to recognize. Yes. Which I liked. And um, it, it's ham-fisted and, and, and kooky. No, and, the movie is lunatic. At one point, there's a group of people stalking somebody using a VW Vanagon, but which it's is a the va- least, But it's a, it's but like it's a pizza least, delivery van that is labeled. It is not it stealthy. It is stealthy surveillance vehicle. No, no, man. But there's a saucy grandma. Oh no, she's not saucy. Yeah, like she's just hateful. Yes, like she basically like comes comes barreling into that part of the movie on like a blue streak of cursing. And by the time she's done, there's just like a greasy black cloud hanging over her head from where all of the profanity has gathered. Yeah, I mean she's just mean. They never redeem her, which no. is kind of a delightful choice because usually in these movies it's like, oh, the octogenarian is acting up again. Isn't she charming? And here they're like, oh, we have to just white knuckle our way. No. This is not rapping grandma. This is the grandma that you're all, when are you going to die? Oh, wait, no, evil never dies. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, it, it, it was... Um it was a very enjoyable uh, about delight- 90 minutes. Weirdly delightful. We were like, like we were surprised. Yeah. Cause the reason we watched it is we were, I was like, well, I'm brain dead. Yeah. It's the end of a long week. Mm-hmm. I've just turned in a 5,000 word article I was working on. Um, we watched rise of Skywalker, which was no uh, picnic. Let me tell you. And, uh, I want something mm-hmm. that I can just let wash over me like a, 
peaceful Hawaiian wave. And mm-hmm. um, this was not a Hawaiian wave because it was in Idaho, but it was just delightful. Yeah. It was delightful and it didn't irritate me or make me feel out of touch the way that a lot of Hallmark movies do. Yeah. So um, so if you have the Hulu, um, go watch yourself some Turkey Drop. Yeah. And not Turkey Dump, as our daughter has taken to calling it. <laughs> That's an entirely different movie. Oh, that sounds so gross. It is extremely gross. What I like is I like to think that Turkey Drop, that, that colloquialism is based on a primitive understanding of WKRP's seminal Christian I, be- I believe Thanksgiving so. episode. I believe so. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys yeah. could fly. God is my witness, I thought high school boyfriends could fly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's it. We've um, broken down for you why you should see The Irishman. And um, we only took a third of the time of The Irishman, so I think that's great. All right. I want to thank Thank you for taking time out of your busy holiday schedule to listen to us and uh, making us part of your 2019. We've enjoyed it. We wish we could have been a bigger part of your 2019. We have big hopes for 2020, though. Yep. I've set up an appointment on Outlook calendar and everything. Yes. And uh, when it's on the Outlook calendar, I must obey. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can tell me what plugin I need to use to avoid the uh, Irish uh, hate crimes, <laughs> I would. Oh, Lisa, there's no plugin that will help you do that. Oh, faith in Bagara. <laughs> so, with Phil and Lisa ruin the movies, I'm Lisa Schmeiser. Oh, and sure enough, I'm Philip Michaels. Oh, oh, me gold. Me precious gold. Wishing you a happy holidays and a hoi toi toi toy into 2020. <laughs>